if people have an issue with the, any kind of complexity in Romans, typically you'll see uh, that they'll point to Romans 9 through 11. And this is more about Paul, and it's all connected. And so, you know, we're going to start in verse 30, and our text goes to verse 33, but really, uh, for the next two chapters, we could keep going and stay on the subject. Uh, so we may go to verse 4 of chapter 10. But really, so far in, in chapter 9, we see that what Paul is establishing, and we know early on he said that his, he has a continual sorrow for Israel uh, and all of the, the promises, and we see that God had chosen the nation of Israel uh, above or among all the other nations to bless. And then he leaves the topic of the nations and God's selection of nations and then he gets into the topic of peoples so one of the things that would be good to divide in Romans chapter 9 is dividing nations versus peoples and then back to nations Uh, this election the sovereign grace of God this whole uh, theme of 9 chapter 9 has been the sovereign grace of God if you remember the last two weeks in So between verses 1 through verse 5, he's talking about the nations. Uh, In verse 4, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. We read, uh, you know, in very small verse here, a summary of 4,000 years of God dealing with Israel. Uh, He had given them all the advantages um, of being God's people But yet, all of these people who who as a nation were, quote, unquote, God's people amongst all the other nations, not all of them were children of the Lord. And that's what he says here in verse 6, not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So now he's leaving the topic of nationality, and he's getting into individualism here. And so he goes on, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. There's no way that you can stay with the nation. So the reason I say that is because a lot of people will dismiss God's sovereign election in this particular chapter saying, oh, he's talking about the nation, that God sovereignly chose the Gentiles over Israel when Israel had rejected, and then God had sovereignly chose Israel over the Gentiles at the beginning, and now he's switched. But you can't make the whole chapter uh, an election of the nation. You have to break it down. When he starts talking about individuals, that's when we have to be honest and say, okay, well, this, there's no way he can be talking about all the nations uh, he is talking about individuals. So in verses 6 through uh, verse 23, he goes on to individuals. Look at, look at verse 15. He says, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So if you try to shape that into nations. How do you do that? In verse 17, he specifically talks about Pharaoh. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared 
throughout all the earth. Now, I bring that up, the, the divisions of nations versus peoples, right? The individuals. And in verse 21, we know he's talking about individuals. Verse 22, he's talking about individuals. What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his much, I'm sorry, and make his power known endured with much long suffering, the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And those we know are talking about individuals. But in verse 24, he switches. Verse 24, he goes back to nationality. He says, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So now we are getting into this concept. Now, I know we went over this last week, but we really need to start here in verse 25. As he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth considering, concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. So here's where our verses start. What shall we say then? So here's his rhetorical question. That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. You've given us to come together to worship you. Father, we pray, Lord, that you will just reveal yourself to us, draw us to you, and show us your glory this morning. Father, we love you, and Father, we pray, Lord, that we're pleasing to you and honoring to you in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So you can kind of see the, the theme of chapter 9. Paul, once again, is arguing about the sovereignty of God. God will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. And even in verse 19, he says, That will say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? We need to understand that in this whole day, this, mess, this lesson and then even later on uh, in the regular Sunday's message, we're going to be talking about the topic of faith today. Faith. And that is what God has chosen to do, is use faith. Faith. Not works, not piety, not religious actions or emotions, but faith. You can have all those things 
and still be displeasing and dishonoring to God. One of the things that we see then that Paul is, is arguing is it is not a matter of your goodness, your piety, your worth. It is of God. It is God who wills. It is God, it is salvations of the Lord. The blessings are of the Lord. They're the the free gift. Free means that without any kind of merit on my part, the Lord chose to give. And then the question comes in, well, is God unfair? Is God unjust? God is not unjust to make some vessels fitted for mercy Versus some fiddle, uh, ver, uh, vessels fitted for wrath. Because like we saw last week, God uses men as he finds them. God does not make people sinners. God does not make people evil. They do that all by themselves. So if we are all of the same lump, and we're all originally vessels fitted for destruction. So many people need to start seeing uh, you know, and, and that is the danger, that's temptation. Uh, a person would be saved and commit their lives and serve and serve and serve, and then pretty soon they lose focus of why they're serving. They, yeah. for, I mean, they, they're serving for accolades, they're serving for praise, they're serving for look at me, look at my commitment, look, look at my dedication. And uh, that is a very slippery slope. That's a dangerous place to be because... You are acting in religion with a cold heart towards God. And we saw last week in Isaiah, he says, away, away with your uh, sacrifices, away with the blood of bulls and goats and your oblations and and all these things. They're an abomination to God. When, When we come to church and we don't have a heart towards God and understand in humility, it's not about my praise, it's about God's praise. It's, it's, you know, God is a God of order. And if I can be plugged into the church and help in any way to bring God honor and glory, then that's what I want to do. That's my motivation. That's what I want to do. So many times what will happen, though, is someone who's raised in a home of piety, and that's a blessing, but the blessing often turns into a curse as David said, let their table be made a snare, is they start relying on their situation. They start feeling entitled to blessings. They lose, they lose perspective of being a sinner saved by grace and of faith. And I really believe that is the thrust of what Paul is saying here is, look, God saved people who were not looking for him. These were people who were not religious at all. They were not seeking God. Uh, We have to understand that God's righteousness is not something you overtake. Righteousness is something that overtakes you. God sends it. And it's a blessing of God. And it's an unconditional uh, blessing of God. An unmerited blessing favor so here's here's the the question and i believe here's the thrust of it why did god receive abel's sacrifice and not cain's now think about that because abel did 
what God asked him to do. Cain wanted to redefine what God asked him to do. Abel received by faith, this is what God wants, this is what I should do. I'm not here to make it better. I'm not here to redefine it. I'm not to, to it's not the Philip show with and plus what God has given me to do. I'm going to be thankful the Lord has given me something to do in his kingdom, first of all. And secondly, I'm going to do it to all the praise and the glory of God. Um, that's what Abel did. Abel's, I'll obey. I, this is what God wants me to do. You know, and uh, sometimes we question, it's like, Lord, do you really want me to do this? I, I can think of 20 people that can do it better. But no, he chose you to do it. And then we're like, okay. And then at some point you learn, you know what? Um, even that kind of attitude of, I, I, I know I ran into this when I was called to preach. I have said this story a hundred times, that God equips the called. Where God guides, he provides. When God has given you something to do, and it's not a matter if you think you can do it or not. God's called you to do it. And then trust in him to equip you to do it. And don't look at others. Don't look how, and that's hard. Don't look at others. But God has called you to be uniquely what you do for him. You know, I can get up here and preach all of Spurgeon's sermons. But those aren't the, the sermons the Lord has told me to preach. And not to say that I don't use notes of other men and, and commentaries and things like that to help kind of bring the understanding out a little better. But I'm not here to be somebody else. I'm here to be me. You, the Lord has uniquely equipped you in some way, in some to bring him glory in his church. The Lord will bring tools to the church. He tempers the body like steel. And I tell you, it's, it's, isn't it beautiful to watch the Lord provide when, when we have a lack of something and the Lord's like, oh. And we can worry about it. We can talk about it. We can fuss about it. We can get discouraged about it. But you know what? That's not my job to equip the church. That's the Lord's job. And I trust in his work a lot better than I could do it. It's the Lord that equips the church. Now, that doesn't you know, mean that we just sit around and, and wait. Uh, we are to, to work till Jesus comes. Um, but being careful to give him all the praise and the glory. All right, so in chapter 9, well, I, I didn't mean to unload all that on you this morning, but uh, I, at least I didn't plan on <laughs> unloading all that on you. Uh, I have no regrets. <laughs> All right, so chapter 9, we see that Paul gets back to Israel and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, in verse 24. And he is saying that look, through the sovereignty of God, if God had not chosen to say, if there were not a remnant, according to election, then everyone would be as Sodom and Gomorrah. God has chosen a remnant. There are Jews being saved today. There are Jews being saved in Acts, there are Jews being saved. Um, now, as a nation as a whole had rejected him, and they were not the same as they had been, uh, as far as um, the people 
quote unquote, of God, according especially as the earth, the world, the other nations had described them. But Abel sought it by faith. Cain did not. That's what shall we say in verse 30? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. God was not faithless or unrighteous. By his mercy, he elected a Jewish remnant. The Gentiles never sought righteousness through the law. They never sought it through uh, being Israel, but they obtained it. And there's many places we can go and we can look at the scriptures that teach this, that God was found of them who did not search for him. And he called people who were not, in verse 26, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said of them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. It really is uh, God who will show mercy. And so how does this work of his help us on an individual level? Um, we see that this is an astonishing work of mercy. Mercy was not earned by the Gentiles. That's a big lesson there. So remember before how I said a lot of people grow up in godly homes, Christian homes, and they'll get this sense of entitlement. We, don't, we do not earn mercy. You cannot earn mercy. The Gentiles do not earn, and I think this is why he's given such a stark contrast that God had mercy upon whom he will have mercy. Not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it is of God that showeth mercy. And they, and it's, I uh, heard um, uh, someone on the radio say this. He had a good point and a bad point. Uh, the good point was is that when we know of a need of someone and we pray and we ask the Lord, you know, bless them. Let's not stop there. Let's pray and ask the Lord if there's a way that he wants me to be used to help them. Let's not just stop and say, hey, Lord, uh, I pray for them that you'll bless them, but let's ask how I can be a blessing. How, how, can, how can I be used to be a blessing? That was a good thing he said. And then the bad thing he said, the wrong thing he said, was that the Lord only uses those who can be used. And I got thinking about that, and I think that's wrong. If you think hard enough, no one can be used of the Lord until the Lord equips them for use. The Lord must call. And the Lord is the one who gives us the grace to be used. I mean, it's a gift to be used by God. And so I kind of understood what, what they were kind of saying, but everybody's unusable until God has grace on them. And God shows mercy. But the Jews failed to attain to this righteousness in verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. It is impossible 
to reach righteousness through the law. We know that. That's a very easy statement to make, a very true statement. It's said over and over and over in the word of God. That it is impossible, impossible to receive righteousness, the righteousness of God through the law. What Paul is teaching them is that. It is that very subject. It is pride and no knowledge of oneself that leads people to seek righteousness by the deeds of the law. It's pride and without knowledge of yourself. You know, God's ways are different from man's ways. Men give credit where credit is due, and God gives grace where no credit is found. God forgives those who do not look for him. None of us are looking for him. And, you know, even in religion, when you look at religion and, and their, their hearts are cold towards God, there's no faith involved with it. It's repetition. It's motion. It's, it's pageantry. It's works of the flesh. There is no pleasing God in any of those things. All of those are works. And in their hearts, they're really not reaching to God. They are looking for praise. Even the works of religion, deep down in their hearts, if they're not saved, and they do not have the Spirit of God in them, and they've committed their whole life to celibacy, to this, to that, all of these things, then what's the motive? If their heart's cold towards God, it's got to be kind of warm towards themselves, doesn't it? And so even that, we see proud hearts will rebel against the sovereignty of God. Now we need to, and Paul is teaching the sovereignty of God to, to the Jews, to the Gentiles. Look, it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that right. It's not all this religion. It's not that you're not entitled to mercy. You're not entitled to blessings. But it is God by his own purpose and his own grace has chosen not to destroy all of us. You know, I was thinking about that um, the Arme, you know, Armenians and, and, or the Armenian way of thinking about salvation. A lot of people, if they don't hold to the doctrines of grace, they get offended. You call them Armenians, but if you don't hold to the doctrines of grace, uh, you don't believe that God chose some and had to call you and bring you alive and regenerate you or none would come. You need to understand that's exactly how he had to call you. He had to save you. He had to turn your lights on before you could even see. Um, once you reject that and you say, well, you know what? It's by my free will. God gives the offer of salvation. And I, it's my choice rather to come to salvation. It's my choice. It's my choice. Now think about this for a minute. What, happened, what would happen if Noah chose not to obey God? None of us would be here today. Would we? But was it God's purpose to destroy all the earth with water that day? Ooh. I mean, God had his plan. It was all hinged on whether Noah obeyed. Right? That's, that's the logic. Of, you, you need to understand, if God has a purpose, a plan, a decree, 
and nothing will be able to thwart or frustrate the, the decrees and the purpose of God and whom he will, he has mercy on. Look, if the Lord did not save his elect, his sheep, then you have a frustrated cross. You don't have a victorious cross. It's all I got to think about that. If Noah, whew, it's a good thing Noah obeyed, otherwise I wouldn't be here. God would destroy the whole world, and then what? Noah would have been the, the end of God's plans. God had all this plans, all these plans, and, but Noah messed it all up. And I, I don't mean to be condescending, but when it comes down to it, listen, uh, I love Ron Crisp. He says, you know, people who do not hold to the, the doctrines of grace, they can very well, very much be saved. People who are saved and they initially do not understand the doctrines of grace. They feel it as a choice. They made on some random day. Later, they read that that was an actual appointed day. Okay? So, um, I am not disquieting or trying to make fun of people who do not, and they love the Lord, the sweetest saints of God on the earth. But Ron Ron Crisp said this, is they may be saved, but man, they must be really proud. They must be really proud. And if you think about that, it's pride that rejects God's sovereignty. If you think that it was you, if you think it was all you, if you think that there was something you did, and uh, you heard it your whole life, and just that one day, and you received it, and then God met you halfway. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that salvation's of the Lord, and He has fitted vessels unto mercy and unto destruction. He has made nobody a sinner to destroy them. That's what um, the Jews believe. The Jews believe that God made Gentiles just to destroy them, just to to fuel hell. And that is not what the Word of God teaches. It's by our own lust. That's what James says. We, we have lust. We envy because we have lust. We have this built-in lust. And then we start acting out this envy. And it becomes sin. And we, have, we are tempted of our own selves. Um, but in verse 31, so what about this? Uh, Paul's saying, you know, Israel, or uh, the Gentiles, and we see in Acts, we see through the prophets, which we're going to ready to look at, how God has extended mercy to the Gentiles. God did not save the Gentiles a different way than the Jews. And here is the evidence of that. The evidence is, is that even people who were not in any kind of misconception that God loves them and they're treasuring up good works in heaven. They weren't even looking for any of that. They could have already given up on themselves, but God had extended mercy to them, not it's just the same thing before Esau or Jacob did any evil or good, but it is God who gives mercy. Um, Verse 31, 
But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. The two senses of the stone here is one, a stone is foundational, and it's an anchor. Or two, it's an obstacle that causes you to stumble. Jesus called the rock of offense. Why do men stumble at Christ? Pride and prejudice. Pride says the gift of a divine Savior for the sinful soul is stumbled at by those who do not feel themselves as terrible sinners. And again, there's that danger, as the Jews had, is they want to feel their something as a reward of their piety. That's looking to gain righteousness by the law. That's pride. You want to feel like you're something. You want to feel like God would never got this done without me. You, you want to feel like people should respect me and love me and, and admire me because of all this hard work which I've done. And that is righteousness. That is searching to find favor in the eyes of God by your religion, by how you act. It, you're, you've lost your focus. The focus should be on the goodness and the grace of God. Did you know that you're not going to forgive other people until you pray and you really realize how much the Lord has forgiven you? And if you come to the point where you're praying, Lord, thank you for forgiving me, you've got to have something in your life to forgive. If you think you're everything, well, what could God possibly be forgiving from me? I'm the greatest. And so if you are not appreciating how much God has forgiven you, you won't forgive others. We come humbly understanding that we are saved by His grace, by His power, by His initiation. Every good gift we have is from God. And of the stewardship which God has given us, we are to return to Him in praise and honor to Him. Uh, you know, and that's, like I said, stewardship is, is possession without ownership. And all that God has given us is a stewardship. Paul called his ministry a stewardship. Our kids, God has given us stewardship. They're not mine. They're the Lord's. The ministry, they're not, the church, it's not mine, it's the Lord's. Your particular way that you're serving the Lord. God's given it to you to take care of. Because the next generation's coming up. And we see how the Lord has preserved his church. Generation after generation after generation with people. With people who are serving. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. There's been somebody just like you for the last thousand years. And the Lord just perpetuates 
and perpetuates us and perpetuates us. And we teach, just as Eunice uh, taught Timothy and Lois taught Timothy, we just keep perpetuating it down and down and down. And we realize that it's the Lord. Now, um, I didn't get all the way through, but as in Sion, behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Real quick, the first uh, four verses, I, there's no way I'm going to get these done in two minutes. I do want to stop it at 1045. So uh, we're going to wait and start chapter 10, but I do want you to understand it's a continuation. It's the same thought that he starts in verse 24. Verse 24, and actually all the way through chapter 10, it's going to be the same seed of thought. That the Lord will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth, and the, the thought that uh, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And if you find unfairness in God, or unjust, uh, injustice in God, then understand that all of us would have been as Sodom, all of us would have been as Gomorrah, had God not chose to love, to redeem some, to where he may bring glory. Remember that verse? Wasn't that beautiful? He will bring himself glory. Rather, it's in the, the vessels that have been fitted for destruction, or it's the vessels who have been fitted for his mercy. He will receive glory in both. And aren't you happy? Don't you rejoice and praise the Lord that God has fitted you today for mercy if you believe in Him as your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come again, Lord, asking Your forgiveness of our sins and we trust in the blood of Your Son as a covering for all our sins. Lord, forgive us and help us, Lord. Convict us when we start feeling uh, like we're something uh, that should be admired. Father, we just want to live our lives to point to you, to be a lesser light to you. We must decrease and you must increase. Father, may all of our effort, all of our work, all that we do in this life be to bring you glory and honor. For thou art worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.